Let me start here. Uh, and you've heard it before, but it needs to be said with where we're going tonight. When Robin and I moved up here, it was, it was intentional. It wasn't just to take mom and dad's church and be a legacy of carrying it forward. I'm glad that's the way it worked out. Our choice was to live in Carrollton, a college town. We, we already had a name. We had a building. We had land. It was going to be called Freedom Church. And as clear as I'm talking to you, what I heard in my heart is that Robin and I and the family were to come to Believer's Church, Douglasville, to reap seeds that had been sown. And that made sense to me because I believe you reap what you sow. And what resonated in my heart is mom and dad had plowed the ground. They had been here nearly 25 years and they had done the hard labor. They had done the work. They had built the... The body of Christ here, they've laid a good foundation, and I felt like the Lord said, I want you and Robin to come and reap off of that and continue to build my kingdom. And so we we came here, and my heart is not just to build a church. It's an easy thing to do. All you need to do is read books and model other people how they do it, and you can probably just like a business, you can... You model it and do it well, and you can do it well. You can do it well and love people and care for people. And and so that is something that's in my heart to do. But at the end of the day, I love that. And this, you know, is business. You got to pay for lights and you got to do what you got to do to pay insurance on the buildings and all of that. But at the end of the day, what resonates in my heart is I believe one day I will stand in front of Jesus and I'll have to answer to Him. And when I do, I have to answer, did I do a good job or not? And did I do what He put on my life to do? So I have that challenge of, uh, okay, God, I want to do what You want me to do here. So a lot of my prayer over this house is, Lord, as we run, let us run where You want us to go and what that looks like. And hence the term revival. It has been brought up to me over the last several years in a question, do I believe there's coming an end-time revival? Uh, and it's always prefaced with the culture is strange and uh, the world is getting darker and surely we're going to have another revival. I was watching a video last night of the Brownsville revival and so I logged in to see it. It was old. It's been on there for years. I logged in and started watching and remembering all the old songs that came out of that revival and kind of teared up a little bit because I could remember that time when the whole world was driving to Pensacola, Florida to be touched by God, to be touched by His Spirit. And then all the comments that were being written on the YouTube video, which were, oh my, we need another revival today. Our nation needs another revival. My city needs a revival. My church needs a revival. And I was reading the comments. And so I think it's on the lips and the hearts of a lot of Christians. It's not just a series we're doing here. I think it resonates in everybody that's a Christian. Is God going to do something in a profound way to our culture? And I was talking to Pastor Phil about this a moment ago. And is it just always going to be something we talk about? Or will we see it? Or will we just always say, well, one day, one day I hope, one day on this corner, one day on this, you know, believer's church, one day. And so we get in this one day mentality of longing for something to happen, wondering if it's ever going to happen in our lifetime. 
And so those conversations over the last year have resonated in my heart to stop a minute and to ponder this subject called revival, this scripture really will challenge any Christian, I think. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Timothy, Paul writes, My son, I am giving you this command, so obviously it's not an option or an opinion. I need you to keep what the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Paul even intimates that there's... there's There is the Bible. He goes on to talk about Scripture and how important Scripture is. It's life a few verses down. But but in this verse, verse 18, he brings something else into the mix of Christian faith. And it's, it's the specific things that God has spoken over your life. It's the specific things that that as you have journeyed with God, that, that uh, the leaders in the, in the walk of your journey have spoken life over you. They, it's called a prophecy. It's a, it's a seeing of what God is going to do and then speaking that over your life. It's the gentleman that laid their hand on my head, and when they laid their hand on my head in 1989 and 90 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and they said to me, God is going to send you to a unique generation, a generation of blue hair, orange hair, green hair. He's going to give you ways to minister that you've never known. You'll prophesy in ways that are different. God is going to show you. And so they just read my mail. You're you're not called to be a doctor. You're not called to be a lawyer. You're called to preach the kingdom of God. Now that was 30 years ago. I didn't even know what a generation of purple, pink, blue hair were. And now it's like, oh God, they're right in my same street. Like, wow, what a prophecy. <laughs> they're my neighbors. <laughs> but he says, if you're not careful, you'll forget the prayers that have been spoken over you and you'll shipwreck yourself. You'll forget about it. You'll get distracted. You'll forget that there is a kingdom purpose to your life and you'll stop recalling them. And you'll find all the other purposes in your life. You'll, you'll make church about everything else. You'll, you'll make your life about everything else. And you forget that there, there's an intent on this moment of called life. I have to remind myself here, there's an intent of us being here, and it's to reap. We are going to reap the seeds. It is a kingdom thing. The kingdom is you sow, you reap. I don't know when the reaping is coming. Maybe it's here. That's what I mean. Like, when will it come? Is it already here? Are we reaping now? Or are we just sitting around waiting on God with our arms going, okay, well, Lord, whenever, just let us know. Or is He waiting on us? Is He saying, I would love to do something, but I can't? As I said last week, how much does, does God want to do something in my generation, but can't because He doesn't have enough workers? We ask that question, would we even be ready if God broke out? Would would we be willing to shift our day and would we be willing to shift our distractions to pour our energy into a building where people are coming to be healed and set free and delivered? And the likelihood in in 2023, the likelihood is no, we've got bills to pay and we've got life and we've got sports and we've got kids and we've got school and we've got families and we so God thank you it's it just feels more fun to pray for revival than to actually be in it it's too much responsibility goes on to say this we'll hold on to the faith and a good conscience because some people have rejected that and have suffered shipwreck in other words 
God is trying to do things in our life. I'm going to teach this Sunday, I believe, that in a more in-depth way. But, but if we're not careful, the conscience can get seared. The conscience can get to where we just kind of go, yeah, it's no big deal. Uh, God will do it. If he wants to do it, he'll just do it. He's God. You know, he can do anything. And, and what happens is the conscience begins to become cold to a move of God. We come in the door, but we come in with no expectation. We come and listen to a team lead music, but there's nothing really in my heart when I pulled up to think today could be the day. The moment is now, not tomorrow. It's now. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And a lot of God's people, I don't think it's that they don't have faith. I think it's that the good conscience that they have is that it's always somewhere off in a distance. It's always somewhere in a distance that causes the problem rather than is it here right now in this moment? Waiting on some magic potion, some magic formula, a magic sermon when I believe God is waiting on us and to this is what I want to talk about. What, what is God doing? Here's where we left off last week. We left off... Let me get rid of that. We left off... With God's expectation, revival was God's expectation of position placed upon those who belong to Him. In other words, revival is not a service. It's not a Friday night service through Thursday night gathering. Revival is not a four-hour meeting. Revival is not people slain in the Spirit falling on the floor. Revival is a positioning of God's people into a place where they belong. It's a positioning. Now, when you get slain in the Spirit or prayed over and God touches you, that touch from God, that, that moment where His Spirit encounters you could potentially be the thing that repositions you. So you get slain in the Spirit and you didn't know, but when you come up, you're like, God, something's different. Right? So it's not the going down and falling that changes. It's when you come up, are you repositioned? Uh, I had a guy years ago say an altar call is not an altar call at all unless it alters your call. But you know us Christians, we like to fill it up and everybody's crying, but nobody's changing. So when we talk about revival, I, I want you to think this. It is a repositioning. It is my life being shifted into a place where God wants me to live. It's not momentary, it's lasting. So if we use the term revival, then, then what we mean is the moment I've been shifted, it should be everlasting. And a lot of times we keep searching for new revivals. But the shifting, the reason I would need that is either A, it's fun, or, or B, God is using me. Or C, I've never been shifted, I just like the emotionalism. But I've not really changed. I'm no different in my core. And I've seen it. I have, I have seen people come to the altar repeatedly, week after week, slain in the Spirit, crying, sobbing. But it's a weekly coming back, and they seem to never progress. I mean, it's the most profound thing. I, I remember a time when I was in a teaching at a class at Oral Roberts. There was about... 250 students, maybe a little more. It was a Holy Spirit encounter class. And they had a 
teacher come from out of town. As he's teaching, it was a pastor, he's teaching. I heard the Holy Spirit say, I'm going to speak to you tonight. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm waiting, and we go through the class, and he calls people up. He's praying over people. He's, you know, doing whatever he's doing, and, and he finishes. And when he finishes, he hands the the microphone back to the professor over the class. I'm sitting right there where Sherry's sitting. And he turns to walk off and he stops. And I'm thinking, oh man, I thought he was going to have a word. He stops with 300, 250, 300 people. He stops. He said, you. Well, I mean, you know, when he points at me, I start repenting like, oh God. <laughs> not me, not me. I just, it felt good, but I don't want to be challenged. I want to feel like it, but I don't want to be. He said, you, come here. Who's that next to you? I said, it's my fiance. Bring her with you. And we both stood there. Now, I'm coming up. And as I'm coming up, I'm, I think to myself, I'm not courtesy dropping for anybody. <laughs> because everybody he touched fell. I said, kind of arrogantly, I ain't courtesy dropping for nobody in my head. So I just want everybody in the classroom to know I'm not giving him that. So I'm standing there, and I kind of brace myself. So just in case he pushes, I got a little, because I've seen that. You just keep pushing until you can't. You just finally have to go. Or they touch you, and you don't go, and they turn around and tell everybody you're a brick, so the next time you fall because you courtesy drop because you don't want to be called out. So I'm ready. Not going to courtesy drop. He looked me dead in the eye and said, what do you want God to do for you? I'd had no clue. I said, uh, well, I feel called to go to Haiti because I was going to be a missionary. He took his hand and he went, no Haitian devil will be too big for you. And he did his hand like this. That's all I remember. He got his hand there and I remember just going like this. And I saw myself falling. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I didn't want to fall. Literally. <laughs> I literally am thinking on the way down, I don't want to go. And I go all the way and just smack the ground. So I do know that there are moments where God can do things supernaturally to shift your perspective. Because when I got up, I, I came to a different perspective. You all never tell God what you would do. <laughs> Courtesy drop or not, don't ever tell God what you will and won't do. <laughs> well, it shifted my thinking. Well, that is, that is when God moves, it's not that He's trying to tickle your fancy. He's trying to shift you. God doesn't even care about you being emotional. He's trying to shift you. And when He shifts you, it's to be everlasting. It is to be something so powerful that it oozes out of you like an energy. And you just... Now, now the key is you have to learn how to stay in it. Once He shifts you, you can't keep living in the flesh and living the old ways. You have to learn how to dwell. And I find that that is one of the most difficult things for Christians is to learn to dwell in a state of ongoing viving. 
So I want to talk about revival. Here's a question. If we believe in revival, and I think we all do, most Christians would say they do, then what is it that's needing reviving? Because the, the, the word revival means something needs reviving. So this is not a word, but it feels good. That means there's already a vibe, and you need revived. So that means that there is a, a foundational place, we will call it viving, the land of viving. And the reason we have to go re is because we're not there. So there's a place where God desires me to be, but the reason Mark, the, the born-again, spirit-filled boy, would go, ooh, I just need a revival. Woo! I need, I need a revival. Then, then by nature of saying that, I'm automatically confessing I'm not in the position of where God wants me to be because I need to be revived. And so to use the term revival by any Christian, it naturally assumes then we're somewhere we don't need to be. So if a church says, Whoo, what we need is revival, well, then we're saying that we're not where God wants us to be. So we start looking for cute little things, little series to hype everybody up. Maybe we can find the right song. And we want to hype everybody up. And whoo, this is it. I feel it. I feel it. I think this is it. Oh, it's going to be worship night. It's coming on worship night. It's going to be next Sunday. Oh, that was good. Whoo. And we're always looking because if we don't come in the door already thinking, I'm already vibed. I, but if I come in the door looking for the re rather than the vibe, then that means everybody in the room's not where they're supposed to be. So whose fault is it if God's not showing up? Well, it would be the preacher's fault or some, somebody else's fault that brought a spirit in the room. Well, they brought a devil in the room. They brought a demon with them. They brought a, oh, it's the preacher. He's carnal. He's fleshly. So, so we have all these cute things we can say when the reality is it would seem that if God's people lived in the land of viving, the church would be exploding with life. And, and people would be, now here's what's interesting, people who needed revived would be beating down the door to get into the land of vive. That's why a revival is so fun. Because broken people are coming in the door just meeting the power of God. And we're like, oh my God, this is incredible. And the funny thing about a true revival, nobody takes credit. Because we're all blown away. Well, what happened? I don't know. What'd y'all do? Nothing. God just showed up. Right? Because I think a lot of times we're looking for ego and God's just like, dude, just get out of my way and give me some space. But the space God wants is faith. He wants me to show up already vibe. What would happen? We have 190 people every Sunday probably per service. What would happen if 190 people 
came in the door on a Sunday, already pumped up, already charged up, already prayed up, already full up, already ready to go. And the moment we stood up and said, stand up, we're about ready to read the Word. And then just oozing out of everybody is the power and the life and the glory and the joy and the hope. And, and Michael hasn't even strummed the guitar yet. Nobody's even preached yet, but everybody's like, oh, just give me a chance to pray for somebody. And then all of a sudden, broken people come in, and according to Paul, they walk in and go, it's evident God's here. He's among his people. And it starts breaking out. So I got the definition to the word revive. And this is telling. Revive means to restore to life or consciousness or strength. So when we say we need a revival, what we're saying is there's no life here, there's no consciousness here, and there's no strength here. So we need God to revive. We need Him to restore us back to His life, back to His consciousness, and by that I mean His wisdom and thinking, and back to His strength. So the moment we say revival, what we're intimating is we're intimating that God is restoring back a consciousness, an awareness, a life and a strength. That This is perhaps why the New Testament is so critical on the thought life. Because one of the biggest challenges to true revival is the mind. God wants to do something, but you talk yourself out of it. You're not holy enough. You're not good enough. You're not spiritual enough. You're not this. You're not that. How could he use you? You're just some broken little sorry, no good. You don't even know the Bible. You don't even know verses. You don't even know how to witness. So the conscience is darkened. And when the conscience is darkened, it needs reviving. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so what, what needs to happen is when God's people start living in a land of vibe, we start living in life 24-7 and then the consciousness of God. And in other words, we're God conscious all the time. He's with me all the time. Remember that old song? He was there all the time. He's with me all the time. And then I walk in His strength and power. Well... I want to, I'm going to build something tonight, leave you hanging, come back, we'll keep going with it. Here's the thought. Revival by its very definition assumes that we're not positioned in a continual conscious state of life. <clears throat> I'll read that one more time. Revival by its very definition assumes that we Christians, sons and daughters of God, or the world, are not positioned in a continual conscious state of life. That's why we Christians will say, do you think there's going to be an end time revival? By that, what we mean is, do we think that God will position a, a culture to have a more conscious awareness of His life? That's what we want the world to have. How many of you think we would be better if the world positioned their thinking to life and to think like God thought? So the question I would leave to really challenge me is, is revive assumes you had it, you lost it, you need to get it back. So my opinion is you don't revive sinners because they've never been vived. They're dead. What they need is just life. 
They need born again. The revive are for people who've tasted the life, tasted the strength and power, left that off, got fleshly, living carnal. They need to be revived to know what God wants to do with them. So revival is less about sinners and much more about the church repositioning in itself to think the way God thinks, act the way God thinks, and take His power to a dead world. And when we are revived, when the church is alive, the city rejoices. When we rule, the city rejoices. The people around me know His power because of what I did. Let's look at it. Let's go there. What, what is the position? So we're going to take about four minutes and go to four or five minutes, go to the original position. So we're going to go to the land of Vive before we needed a re. Here it is, Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful, that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and divided into four branches. The first branch, verse 11, called Pashon, flowed around the entire land of Avila where the gold is found. And the gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone are also found there. The second branch, verse 13, is called Gihon, and it flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch is called the Tigris. It flowed east of the land of Asher. And the fourth branch is called the Euphrates. And the Lord God, you ready? Place the man in the Garden of Eden to tend over it. So the word revival was not even in the originality of God because He was going to start you out in the land of vive, life. You wouldn't need revive because you would be birthed right to the middle of it. So when He plants the garden and He places the man... He puts four rivers that flow into the garden. And here's the rivers that we, we see happening. The Pishon means the river of increase. The Gihon means the river that bursts forth. The Tigris means rapid. And the Euphrates means fruitfulness. So when God put Adam and Eve into this garden and he brought these streams of rivers that broke into the heads to go to the garden and flow out of the garden, it would lend itself to mean this. I'm putting you in a land of bursting forth where there will be rapid increase of fruitfulness. In other words, the way God thought about your life is that your life would burst forth with increase. Your life would burst forth with fruitfulness. Why? Because you were to be a testimony that you carried His image. You are not some weak, anemic little creature here. God puts you in a land that flourished with fullness of life. And so, here's the word revival. In the beginning, before there was a revival, the garden is, your mouth said revival is positioning. It's, it's God's original position. So before Adam and Eve blew it, the foundation position was, I'm going to place you in a garden that is the fullness of life. 
This will start making sense in the New Testament when we start asking, what does Jesus want out of us? It's why you must be born again. It's what he's going for. So there's nothing about the original intent that says we are weak, broken, sorry, sick, diseased people. It was so powerful, God blessed them, verse 28 of Genesis 1. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and govern it. He said, look, I've given you everything you could need so that you can have every seed-bearing plant throughout the whole earth and all the fruit trees for your food. I've given you everything, verse 30, every green thing for food and everything that has life. So God set them up pretty good, right? And then God tells them, what I want you to do out of this position of fullness, here's where it gets tricky. I need you to go out into the earth to govern and reign it. The, it, it was a gathering in the garden of Adam and Eve, but out of the garden they were to fill the whole earth. God's intent was that His kids out of a place of fullness could go into the world and govern and rule and reign. Anybody knowing where the New Testament's going to be later in the weeks ahead? God is going to plant you in a garden called the church. He's going to baptize you with fullness, not so the world can come to you, but so you can go to the world. So the reason we say we need revival is we want sinners to flood the church. But really, if you're talking, if you say revival, what we really mean is we want Christians to get so full of God that when they leave, everywhere they go, they take life with them. So the reviving is for you so you can go do the work of the Lord. You leave the gathering filled with the Spirit and you go out into the world and you're 50 feet and you take life with you. What we want is I don't want to do anything. I want to sit inside the green box and ask God to send me all the people in yellow. And I don't want to do anything. I don't mind opening a door. I'll serve in the nursery if I have to. But it would be no different than Adam and Eve sitting here going, we're just going to stay in the garden and do nothing. We're not going to rule and reign over the earth. We just want God to do it all for us. So typical mindset, consciousness is when we, when we say revival, we're thinking people, if, if you're watching by, listening by podcast, I got yellow people outside of green box. I want the yellow people to come to my box. But revival is those in the box, in the red, need to get out of the box and go to the yellow people and take life to them. That's what I think it is. Watch, though. So the Lord God, Michael, live if you want to go ahead and come up. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground where he had been taken. And here's where revival becomes so necessary. He drove the man out and he placed uh, on the east side of the Garden of Eden a flaming sword and a cherubim to guard the way of a tree of life. So now what we have is this positioning of God in the fullness of life is now a disaster. Man lost that position. Man lost the fullness of God. If you go all the way through the Old Testament, God is always trying to bring them back into a box. 
into a land flowing with milk and honey, that would be one, into the temple area where his life was, that would be one, into the ark where his life was, that would be one. In the New Testament, it's to bring us into the body of Christ. And the whole goal is that that this fullness of life is an off-limits until Christ comes and here's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves with the world saying, let me in. I want that life. I want what you once had. I'd like you to stand up with me if you will because I am going to give you a prophecy and I'm going to leave it on the center TV for you. Because now what I want to do is just ask Michael and Olivia, we're going to cut the lights down, we're going to worship, we're going to sing, we're going to pray. And I want it to be intentional for us because I go back to what I said about keeping with the prophecies. This is a prophecy that was given to us July the 30th of 2023, so a month and a half ago. He was sitting right over there where Phoebe's at, and everything kind of went bad that Sunday if you were here, and I made a crazy, anybody here got a word? And it was a guest visitor, and he raised his hand. He said, I have a word for this church. And this is what he spoke over the church. A greater glory is coming. He's sending a fresh fire to bring repentance, purity, and cleansing. He is sending fresh oil to bring healing to the body of Christ, body, soul, and spirit. He is sending a fresh wind to bring refreshing and a shifting of seasons. That's not fun. I don't like my seasons to shift. He's sending a fresh river to flow from the pulpit. I've been asking God to do that through me. Lord, let me show up with a freshness every time I speak. Whoever's in the pulpit. But He's bringing a fresh river to the body of believers. And this river will not only refresh, it will also flow, watch, from this body into the community. The town and the city. There's that revival. It comes, the greater glory comes to thrust us into our 50 feet. And the river will produce an undertow. Come on, somebody. To draw people to the location. There's that location where God's presence resides. There's that place where He wants to show Himself strong. He said to be healed, to be restored, and to be delivered. And like never before over the last year, I have seen a battle for healing, people sick, a battle for restoration of friends and loved ones and families, and battles of addiction. And I think it's because the devil wants to talk us out of everything God has. He wants to discourage you. He wants you believing you're not healed. He wants you believing that healing's not for you. That Because how can a greater glory come if the people in the house are sick and, and we're fighting the battle and, and it's coming against us and now I've lost heart and I've lost faith because I'm having to fight. Even Robin having to fight through cancer and it's like, well, come on, God, if this is true, come on, God, if it's true, then why? Because remember, we have to keep with what God prophesied over us or we can get distracted and discouraged and, and we can lose sight of what the Lord wants to do. Bow your heads, if you will.
I don't know what Michael and Olivia are going to sing, but I feel it's going to be a prophetic environment over the house. As you sing healing, woo, as you sing refreshing, but before we get too excited about all the great words of revival on the screen, he said, let's first talk about the first fire of repentance. As, as Olivia and Michael lead us into worship, if there are things in your life that you need to repent of, let's start there. Are there hurts, disappointments, anger, bitterness? God, purify me that I may have that fresh fire. Just begin to lift your voices. Hallelujah. Truth cuts. 
spin Reposition, repositioned Something about the world I'm in Is different than the way it's been Paradise has found a friend See it for yourself Something about the world I'm in Is different than the way it's been Paradise has found its friends See it for yourself Reposition Reposition Reposition
So if you can't kneel, you can sit. But if you can kneel, would you just kneel on the ground as, as a posture? If you can't kneel, just sit and kind of lean into your knees. That's fine. But whether you're sitting or kneeling on the ground, take a posture where you're, you're bowed before the Father. While you're bowed, ask Him to forgive you for thinking it was you rather than Him. Ask Him to forgive you if you've gotten sloppy or lazy or distracted or hurt or disillusioned or angry. word was purity ask him are there areas in my life God that are not pleasing to you the way I talk the things I listen to the things I watch my behavior oh he'll tell you he's a good father he'll tell you does show you just again I give that to you God it's no longer going to be my excuse it's no longer going to be part of my conduct it's no longer going to come off of my mouth it's no longer going to be in my playlist it's it's no longer going to be something I give my mind to or my eyes to purity final was a cleansing so while you're there oh just let his river of the spirit clean clean you oh let him wash over you with joy and hope peace let him just bathe you with his presence Let it flow. 
I don't know who this is for, but I sense in my spirit you've been battling in the flesh. You've been trying to fight a spiritual battle in your flesh. And man, the best I feel it is you're, you just are frustrated. You're a little angry, a little tired, a little... Almost, I, I don't think you've given up, but it's almost like you're just at that kind of, oh, whatever. And I say tonight, oh, dear son and daughter of God, do not throw in the towel. You're breathing, and if you're breathing, there's life. Who is that that just feel like you've just been in a war, just going through? All right, anybody else? So, Father, just bathe this place with your spirit tonight and your goodness tonight and your glory tonight. preachy, but I feel like there's a river of healing starting to come in the room. It's like I feel a river of healing coming in the room. Oh, it's not natural. It's supernatural. It's like I, in the vision, I see it coming under the doors and Phil, if you'll put the slide back up on the TVs. As I started out with 1 Timothy, we keep with the prophecies spoken. Let's go out tonight and let's read this together. And let's believe as we read it that our faith will begin to expect what we are reading and that God will bathe this place with His power. So let's do it together. Here we go. A greater glory is coming. He is sending a fresh fire to bring repentance, purity, and cleansing. He is
sending fresh oil to bring healing to the body of Christ, body, soul, and spirit. He is sending a fresh wind to bring refreshing and shifting of seasons. He is sending a fresh river to flow from the pulpit through his body of believers. The river will not only refresh, it will also flow from this body into the community, town and city. The river will produce an undertow to draw people to this location to be healed, restored, and deliver. Time to expand. Give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Now here's what I ask of you. I ask that if we're not careful, we'll come to church on Sunday and just do church. It'll just be another service. What I need is those of us that are here, we get to kind of leave charged in faith. Between now and Sunday, I need you to stay in the land of vibe. I need you to just stay in that land of God. Man, I'm ready. I need you to stay prayed up. I need you to stay worshiped up. I need you to stay tuned in with God. And then when you come in the doors, what happens is we end up with 110 people already vibed. So when the other 110 come in, they go, Dear Lord, what's happening in this place? And I believe because of the anointing on God's people, we will see supernatural things. We really will. Not just through me. It actually says from the pulpit through the body. Like we all need to come going, okay, Lord, here we are. Let's do it. Amen. Well, Father, I bless you as you go. I bless your week. I bless your day that God will put angels around you, keep you safe. But more than that, his spirit will flow through you with power in your 50 feet. Be aware. Be ready. Ask God to use you and watch what he'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. Have a great night.